Hey everyone, just a couple of announcements before we get started. So the Impact Measurement Project, the IMP, and Rally Assets are working together to launch a structured 18-month education program that helps asset managers and owners to integrate impact into their investment practices. This uh, initiative just finished a successful run in the UK and the US, and uh, Rally Assets is working with the IMP to deliver cohort here in Canada. So if you have an interest in this, if you're working for an asset manager and you want to beef up on how to integrate impact measurement into your practices, this sounds like a pretty uh, outstanding program. You can check it out on the rallyassets.com website. The web link is not easy to read, but if you search impact integration program, IMP and Rally Assets on Google, I'm sure you'll find it. The other um, interesting news that came out was that the um, UNDP released a online investor platform. The online tool aims to spur private sector investment in projects by giving country-level market intelligence and on-the-ground insights into the local investment landscape and provide connections to relevant partners. So it is not an investment platform where you'd find investment ideas, specific you know, in investment opportunities, but it's meant to help the research process to help you find the types of need that happens by SDG and by geographies and show you specifically how investments into those areas can make um, an impact. And then you could go about sourcing and looking for investments operating in that space that will drive the type of impact you're intending to have. It's a really interesting tool. You can check it out, sdginvestorplatform.undp.org. With that, let's get on to the podcast. You're listening to the Impact Investing Podcast. I'm your host, David O'Leary. I'm a reformed free market capitalist who now spends his time trying to harness the power of the markets for good. And I started this podcast for anyone who wants to join me as I explore the world at the intersection of purpose and profit. Welcome to episode 28 of the Impact Investing Podcast. The emphasis of this podcast is the very first word, impact. We're constantly exploring how organizations and individuals can invest more responsibly in a way that makes a real difference for people, communities, and the environment. And that sounds simple enough, but when it comes time to measure and manage the impact that investment has made, that's where many initiatives and organizations fall short. It's difficult to understand what impact really means, especially when we have such a wide and diverse set of potential criteria. Some might even call it a riddle. In this episode of the podcast, I sit down with Janelle Sobe, the CEO and co-founder of Riddle. Riddle's an organization that helps companies and nonprofits of all sizes track, analyze, and share their social and environmental impact data. One of their biggest goals is to show organizations the many different types of impact and how they can reach the ones that matter most to their mission. They do this through software that allows companies to manage their goals, activities, and collaborations all in one place. Janelle's interest in solving social problems started in childhood and led her to ultimately study political science in an attempt to solve problems through politics and government. But it was her work experiences, which range from academia to social entrepreneurship, that would ultimately lead her to the belief that technology could also be a key lever to drive social impact. And it was this belief that led Janelle to start Riddle with co-founders Derek Hatchard and Jessica Peters. During this episode, Janelle and I discuss how the Riddle software works, what types of companies use it, and the power of industry data in measuring impact. And be sure to stay tuned to the very end, where Janelle dives into the return on social investment calculator that the organization is in the process of developing. With that, let's dive into our conversation with Janelle. So Janelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, David. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I was excited to have this conversation. I had met Derek, one of your co-founders and CTO at SoCap. It wasn't this past year, but the probably the year before. And I think he knew Sumer Mirza, who's the COO at World Vision Canada, who I'd worked closely with. I was excited to have this conversation. I had met Derek, one of your co-founders and CTO at SoCap. It wasn't this past year, but probably the year before. 
And I think he knew Sumer Mirza, who's the COO at World Vision Canada, who I'd worked closely with. And we were together and bumped into to Derek at, at SOCAP. So it's been, been following the journey for a little while and excited to have you on. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Back when we used to get to do conferences in 3D. Remember those days? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a lifetime ago now. <laughs> yeah. So Janelle, can you start by introducing yourself and, and Riddle and tell us a little bit about both of you? <laughs> Yeah, of course. My name is Janelle Sobey. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Riddle. And to your point, Derek Hatchard is also a co-founder at Riddle. And we have another co-founder as well, Jess Peters. What we do at Riddle is we measure impact. And I know a lot of people will say, how do you measure impact? It's certainly not as hard as people believe that it is. And so when we say we measure impact, we measure I think what's become more mainstream in terms of uh, a term that people can understand or consume is ESGs. So anything that falls under the environmental, social, or governance. And so some examples might be for environment, it's it could be carbon offsetting. For social, it could be homelessness. And for governance, it could be diversity or gender within a corporate board. Mm-hmm. Okay. So by the way, it's Riddle, R-I-D-L. And I love the name, by the way. I commented to Derek when we first uh, met that it's such a great <laughs> name because it is a bit of a riddle trying to create something that allows you to measure impact across such a wide and diverse set of potential criteria. Yeah. The, it, yeah. Thanks for picking up on the name. The name had originally come from exactly that. It's about solving a puzzle. And we believe that there's a new breed of investor, the impact investor, who's more curious about solving real world problems than they are in necessarily a financial return. doesn't mean that they're not as interested or equally interested in a financial return, but recognizing that they're curious about the riddle. And we're seeing billions of dollars from individuals who who, who are leading with that curiosity to try to be part of solving. And part of that challenge is communicating across different organizations, different impact intention and different kind of impact criteria, some sort of measurable, obviously like the data, but also something that like a key that allows people to compare disparate and incomparable types of impact across the board. Is that like part of the challenge you're trying to help tackle with Riddle? Yeah, absolutely. When you roll it up and you look at like essentially a capital allocation, and one of the things that we're trying to ensure happens at a at a, a more visionary part of the company is ensuring that capital allocation is making it to companies and organizations in different legal structure that are really moving the dial on some of these more complex problems. And so how do you make sure that funding in whatever shape or form makes it to those companies and organizations that are performing? It means that you have to have, whether it's the funder's opinion of what success looks like, or it's the organization's opinion of what success looks like, there needs to be a bar of what they're interested in considering success in order um, for it to have been to have achieved the performance that they wanted. And so when you look at when you look at it through that lens, you then you then need to look at, well, how can you compare? And it's a difficult conversation to look at how do you compare across sector? It becomes easier to be able to compare within the same sector and then specifically within the same indicator. So what I mean by that is if you're working within a specific field and you have the same impact objectives, then you can look at how maybe a company or an organization is delivering upon one specific indicator or even just on one specific impact goal, as opposed to doing an analysis of the entire organization or the entire company. But it's it does make it easier to then to start to compare across different companies and organizations with the intention of really trying to understand who's solving this problem and how do we ensure that they continue to receive the resources that they need. But it's certainly (laughs) complex in terms of the number of frameworks that are available for how you define and determine performance success and, and what is considered impactful or not. And then, of course, the number of indicators that that have been created. And then there is, of course, a lack of standardization. And there's lots of conversations about whether or not standardizing how we compare, how we talk about companies and organizations' performance is actually a step forward. We believe it is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's when you get to the level of 
funder, whether that's a donor or whether that's an investor and increasing the impact investment space, these are investors we're talking about. And they're investing, especially when they're investing money on the behalf of a diverse set of unit holders or investors, like in the case of a fund, it gets, it does get difficult to, you do, I think there is a desire to have these sort of cross-sectoral comparisons, cross SDG comparisons of impact to say, okay, would I be better to put a dollar into this firm making an impact on homelessness or this uh, dollar into an impact, into an organization impacting the environment? And because when you've got a very narrow set of investors or desired impact, then it's, you may just say, well, listen, we're trying to solve these types of problems and we're not trying to make comparisons to other seemingly incomparable areas. But when you've got a diverse set of investors, they do have a diverse set of probably impact that they'd like to make. And I think for a lot of us, even just me personally, I've got a number of causes I care about and I could go a, diff- a variety of different ways and I'd rather give it to a more impactful organization or or project than a less impactful one. And so there are times where I do want to have those comparisons. And I don't know, to my mind, I'm, I'm curious, like you guys obviously fall into this camp of it is beneficial to have it. I, I think like the answer is in both. It's mm-hmm. we do want to make these cross comparisons. We're going to recognize that they won't be perfect and that will only be one measure. And then we're going to have to live with the fact that it'll be, don't make perfect the enemy of the good. It's not going to be perfect, but it's an extra piece of data to help you in a decision-making process. And then the question is, know the limitations of the data and know its weaknesses. Absolutely. I guess I'm curious what you think about that as a framework. Yeah, it's certainly one of the theses that we are, are working toward is understanding how can you compare and essentially providing organizations and companies and their funders the tools to be able to do those evaluations internally and then for external purposes. So whether that's for the public or for their funders. And if the intention is to direct or reallocate funding to those who are performing, then having, there's lots of different rating systems out there. There's public market ones. We're starting to see a lot more private market rating systems as well. And none of them are perfect. So I I think exactly what you said is that you can recognize it as possibly a step forward in being able to provide individuals with information to, to invest in a way that will continue to have a positive impact while also accounting for the fact that it does lead it does leave room for it not to be as accurate, or it might leave room for certain items to not be accounted for when looking at something like systems change. But in terms of the, when I say previously, when I mentioned attention, it lies with the, so I guess the underlying assumption that's being made is that all organizations and companies are the same. And therefore the way that they are making impact in and change is the same. And I think that is the underlying issue with measurement in general is that a lot of organizations and companies aren't the same. And the way that they decide to create their theory of change model or their systems change model is not the same either. And where is there room in the measurement process for being able to understand what emergent outcomes mean or where is there room for understanding failure? And is that impactful or not? Where's where's the room for innovation, essentially, within it? And I think that there is room for both um, and that they're not in opposition to each other, but rather you can look at being able to essentially create a win-win where you can measure and start to compare at a higher level, but then we can also start to learn from the emergent outcomes, the failures, and the innovative solutions that are happening. But they don't necessarily need to be what's reported on. They don't necessarily need to be what the funder measures. It could be for internal purposes with the intention of making it public or doing future collective impact or trying to get it into the future measurement of their funder. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I'm just wondering, we're going to dive into some more of the details and like sort of the how you're helping with a lot of these challenges. I'd love to just um, discuss a little bit of the, how did you, your background, how did you get involved in all of this? And then the story of, of Riddle coming together, because it seems to me you've got three, you know, three folks, co-founders with very different backgrounds, which is a great complimentary set, but I'm curious for the kind of the background story. Yeah, so it started probably around eight years ago. And it's actually, it the motivation was always just in seeing 
what I would consider anomalies, or maybe it's actually just the status quo, but what was perceived as an anomaly to me, or something that felt like, yeah, it just didn't belong. And those moments happen to all of us in our lives. And for me, it was, I used to attend the Saturday morning market with my family every Saturday. And there was a homeless man who sat out front, he played his monkey marionette, and and he collected change from passerbys, buyers. And it always stuck, I guess, in my mind as a young kid, that was just wrong, that the concept of homelessness just didn't compute. And from then on, I think I continued to see the whole world is in color, but those moments where you see things that just aren't right stand out so clearly in black and white or gray. And in a world where we ha- were able to build phones that uh, are waterproof, mini computers in your pocket that are waterproof, but we can't solve for something as simple as homelessness has always, again, just been jarring and doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And I started looking at, at a systems level, what's missing? What are we not doing? And understood that we've got smart people. We've got lots of capital and resources that are going to nonprofits and companies who are trying to solve for these large social complex problems. But why are we still not solving them? Why are there communities where, and I've used homelessness. So like, why is the housing first initiative not being deployed when 32 years ago, we learned that it was successful in California. And it boiled down to this belief that there's a data problem, that we don't have all of the data in one place where companies and organizations, so legal structure agnostic, where they can see uh, from a performance perspective. So oftentimes when we talk about impact um, and impact investing, we look at or even measuring impact, we look at risk and compliance. But on a performance perspective, there's a there is data missing, at least existing in one place on performance. How is how did one organization perform at a very specific impact outcome? Or how did they perform on a very specific indicator? Or how did they perform in a certain jurisdiction or with different variables? And so it's it's this belief, or I guess our guiding star, our guiding North Star, that if we can solve this data problem, that we'll be able to see in real time, companies and organizations start to solve for these problems and for those companies and organizations to receive the dollars that they need in order to do that, but also for what's been learned from those, just like we see in technology or often in the private sector for maybe not necessarily social complex problems, like a popcorn ripple effect of really quick, innovative, iterative solutions happening to solve for those problems. And so our hope is that we'll be able to solve the world's toughest problems faster by being able to leverage and harness the the data. And of course, that's a big goal, but that's certainly the motivation behind why Jess and I and Derek work as hard as we do and getting to understanding what's going on a data perspective means that we have to start small and meet organizations and companies where they're at. And that's why we've built tools like the Workspace or or like the Social Return on Investment Calculator. It's about starting to meet companies and organizations where they're at so that they can begin to understand their data, but also so that the world can uh, start to understand the data. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I'm excited to talk about those things. So going back to the timeline, you've had these experiences growing up that really stuck with you. You're, you've you got a background in political science, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, I so have. You moved from kind of political science to mm-hmm. uh, entrepreneur, I think several times now, right? Over? Yeah, that's a good question. One of my early on mentors, advisors, who went on to, I think he was the... CEO of the second largest drilling company in the world. And he had a poetry, I think, as his undergrad and and another one of our investors who has all types of accolades. He has an an English degree as his foundational degree. So I am curious about that and lots of people. For myself, political science, I studied political science because at the time I was interested in how do you solve big problems. And 
at that time, I saw the tool for how do you solve these big, complex social problems as, well, you go and you work in international development, you go work at the UN. But I looked at politics or government structures as places of influence and power and where decisions are made about the structures that we live in. It was later on in life that I understood the different tools. And so I look at technology as a tool that can help scale impact. So no matter what solution we come up as humans, if you can apply technology, I think you can scale that. And so I see the study of politics and governance or the use of technology, or even being an entrepreneur as just one more tool toward that same objective. And so it was that belief, I think, at a certain point in my life where I understood that technology was going to be able to help scale the solution that we came up with. And I left the University of Waterloo having done a social innovation grad program there and bought into a custom software firm and joined as managing partner. So that was a steep learning curve. And at that time, there was 22 developers and learned new vocabulary sets uh, (laughs) to, you you know, how to manage a, a team of that size. So it was definitely helpful in getting, continuing to understand technology and the role it can play for solving social problems. And so you, that previous firm, you, there was, you had an exit from that. And was it kind of after that, that you got together with Derek and Jess, or was there something in between there? Yeah, that's, yep. That's the timeline. So we had actually founded Riddle last year. So in 2019, both Derek and Jess started working in Riddle in 2019. When we sold the custom software firm in February of this year, that's when I was able to join Riddle full-time. Bringing us uh, back up today to today and where where you guys are at. So Riddle, I'm going to maybe give a little bit of a a description of kind of what I what I think it is and how it's helping. We've touched on this a little bit so far, and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong here or if I'm mischaracterizing it. But it, it this is a piece of software you can go in. It's you're selling it to two major kind of categories of of client. One is asset allocators or funders, investors uh, of any sort that want to keep track of the impact that their various investments or or projects they're funding, the impact that they're having across those various investments or projects. And then on the other side, you can can be used by social enterprises themselves that may have a diverse group of funders or investors that want them to report back their impact. And so this platform can be used from the opposite end of the, the spectrum to, to keep track of all of their, their various impacts in one central hub. And then there's some tools in there that allow you to potentially convert the impact that you're having into some sort of, you've got a calculator, right? A social return on investment calculator that tries to turn the impact into a dollar value so that you can compare across various impacts. Is that a fairly um, accurate assessment? Yeah, absolutely. I think the only thing I would add is it's the two-sided market you outlined perfectly. So you've got your funders and the organizations and companies who may be receiving funding from funders. But what we're seeing is that corporations of all sizes are needing to track for internal purposes as well. And so they may not have a funder who requires that they measure impact, but are starting to for different regulation requirements, preparing for all of the changes that we're seeing in ESG requirements and reporting. So just trying to get a sense internally how they're performing and not necessarily always for a funder. Okay, that's a really great point. So this, it seems to me as well that this is both, this is like the types of impacts that are trying to be measured, the way in which you measure them, like Riddle's all agnostic on that regard. Like it's a flexible platform that allows you as the social enterprise or as the funder or whoever you are that's using it to define and measure, you know, create the the metrics that you're looking to measure. Is that right also? Yeah. Yeah. Intentionally quite flexible. And that goes back actually, David, to the conversation we had earlier around that tension between can you measure it, can you not measure it, and the, the level of standardization. So putting in a lot of flexibility and customization into the tool was quite intentional to allow for people to select the outcomes maps that they want to use and to be able to track impact the way that they need to for their organizations. 
Okay, so, so that's great. And at the risk of maybe overemphasizing this point or overexplaining it, can you give like a practical example of a firm and maybe just like a handful of a problem it's solving for them or a handful of metrics they may be inputting and what Riddle allows them to do? Sure. So maybe I'll use government as one example. So government, when we talked about the two the two different markets that we have, so one being funders, folks don't always think of government right away when you think of impact investors, but the way that they fund or invest is with the intention of delivering public good. And so where we're seeing government be successful using the tool is it can be within one department or across departments. Right now, I'll give you one example where they're using it internally for one department. And so this is actually like a social services department where they give out a significant amount of grants per year. And so it allows for them along actually a thesis. So there is a poverty thesis and the intention and they've got their impact objectives all outlined and then their grants that they give out to nonprofits or companies that are intended to drive those impact outcomes that they would then track in the tool. A lot of what was happening before for them was that there were multiple regions reporting in from across the province and different and then from those regions, multiple different organizations and from those organizations, multiple benefactors. And so one of the big things I think where it's helped them is being able to, one, easily collect all data in one workspace across their entire team. So it doesn't matter if it's from the end benefactor to the regional hub coordinator to them within at the department, they can see everything in one view. And then and then also be able to roll it up and see their results. So like a lot of that work is happening quite manually, um, still in spreadsheets. And then oftentimes what you'll see as an outcome is an annual report that's like a PDF with images and anecdotes and stories. But what's nice is they're able to see from a quantifiable perspective, how are they performing at moving the dial on those impact outcomes? And then they'll be testing the social return on investment calculator at a later date, but straight through to executive council's office, their interest in understanding with the intention of being able to internally improve, but also to be able to communicate publicly. For every dollar invested in a specific social area, you get X dollar return. And that can be really impactful when we're looking at building policies that are proactive as opposed to reactive, investing in early on in issues as opposed to spending a lot of money on programs that deal with them after uh, they've become really big issues. I don't know, is that the type of example you're looking for? No, that's great. And like, in this case, government, but any if in a more generic sense, like a, an organization can define and group things by organization that they're funding, they can group it by SDG, or they can group by ESG kind of factors, and then roll up all of the various organizations and projects and things like that, and it by those various factors. Like it yeah. seems to me, it just has a lot of flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. And same thing in terms of how it gets rolled out across large large institution or organization. Right now, we're looking at a publicly traded company who could possibly be using the tool. And they they have very specific ESG goals that they need to track internally. And so right now, that data exists in multiple places. They'd be building their own internal repository. But then it's about, okay, how do you measure that data once it comes in? And that's, again, even though even across a a large publicly traded company, that's where we can help at least. Okay, this is going to be a different kind of ad. I've played a personal role in selecting this sponsor because they're passionately working on making an impact. Today, we're going behind the scenes with a British Columbia-based social enterprise called Genies. I can tell you firsthand, when we came to Israel as a family of five, no jobs, of course, a different language from Russian to Hebrew, small kids, I was four. The first night that we got in, a neighbor saw that a family came in and she basically gave us like tea with some sweets, things that she had prepared. And these moments created so much joy and stress relief for my mom specifically, where she could, okay. Somebody helped me feed my kids in a moment where I was really stressed about how do I do that. That's Libby Berenson, 
co-founder and CEO of Genies, describing the difficult experience her family had moving from Russia to Israel when she was a child. And it was experiences like this that would spark the passion in Libby to create a social enterprise in the business of granting wishes for families in need. Always giving back to the community was a part of me, so creating Genies was really a way for me to apply my skills and experiences into combining that with my values and things that I'm passionate about. The trick, though, for Libby was to find a way to enable caring Canadians to grant wishes in a way that was financially sustainable, scalable, and secure. In Libby's words, Genies is basically a social gifting technology platform that facilitates gifting for families in need. We integrate with different retailers to be able to show their products and services in the app for families to list and donors to give. Families can list different types of items. They can list products, secondhand products, electronic gift cards for groceries, and even dental services. And services can be later on, it can be eyewear, it can be in the future education, career coaching, it could be different other services that we can really grow with that side. We're working with nonprofit organizations. They're the ones vetting and choosing these families. Families want to receive anonymously. Remaining anonymous is super, super important. The impact on the lives of real people, real families, sometimes those living on our own streets and in our own communities, can be transformational. Libby recalls the story of a woman who was used to wearing secondhand coats that never quite fit right, who got to enjoy a privilege that many of us never think twice about. She received a new coat. And so she received that coat that she really wanted from a donor on Genie's. And she was so proud of it. Her confidence went so high and up. And that was a little bit before COVID. So people could meet face to face. So for her, it was such an important part of her confidence and self-esteem. She was so proud and showing off her new coat. Imagine the opportunity and how she will feel when she goes and, and, and tries for a job interview or in front of her kids or her friends. She felt so proud and that with the platform built and the idea validated, Libby and her team now spend their time and focus on growing the business. Genies uses an affiliate business model where retailers pay Genies for each product or service that are gifted to families in need. This revenue allows Genies to expand their relationship with more nonprofits to reach more families in need. But to accelerate this growth, Genies needs to raise additional financing. We chose equity crowdfunding because of the opportunity to engage the community. You need to have the funding behind it to make sure that your, your impact is seen and uh, it's affecting more and more people. Crowdfunding helps democratize access to impact investing. In the case of Genies, it allows them to accept an investment as small as $250 without requiring investors be accredited, a restriction that normally prevents ordinary Canadians from becoming co-owners of impact businesses and participating in their financial success. You can invest a minimum of $250 up to $1 million, and investors in BC are actually eligible for even 30% tax credit with an investment of over $3,000. Visit frontfunder.com genies to learn more about how you can be a part of this impactful process of social gifting. That's frontfunder, F-R-O-N-T, F-U-N-D-R dot com slash G-E-E-N-E-E-S. A, a couple other things that I think stood out to me. You have the ability to give organizations access to submitting information, right? So if you're an investor and you've got investee companies, they can get access to a portal or they can upload or submit their kind of impact data so that you're not having to manually do it uh, on behalf of all the organizations. And then another area, was there something in the product around giving recommended or like a library of kind of choices for, I don't know if I've imagined this, for like ways to translate the impact. So for instance, if we're talking about carbon footprint reduction, like here are standards used for how we assess the carbon reduction mm -hmm. associated with planting X number of trees or whatever those kind of metrics are. Did it, am I imagining that? No, it is part of the, it's part of the roadmap. And it's okay. part of that North Star that we're following in terms of, so you have this mass 
database of performance metrics and it's the so what can you do with that information how is it impactful how can you action it to work on your behalf and part of preparing those recommendations comes from volume of data in the system so being able to take in real-time recommendations from where private companies and organizations are being successful and then being able to report that back out. I think if we did something like that right now, it would be really a lot of work probably that's what's happening from manually across companies and organizations, which is just taking what we know to be true today. So looking at like the the indicators from Iris Plus of the Global Impact Investors Network and taking pulling in the indicators from the SDGs or even just like helping folks align with certain measurement frameworks. And there's a lot of information and standards that are available around frameworks that you can select, outcomes maps, um, the, the impact outcomes that align with an SDG and then the indicators that align with that. So there's absolutely room for helping essentially what would be a consultant's role, but doing it in a digital way. And the product doesn't do that yet, but I think in years to come, what will be really powerful is when those recommendations are based off of the performance outputs of companies and organizations. Yeah, that's really interesting. I can imagine just like over time having, especially for for newer organizations, as you're coming in and you're building out your metrics to be able to see and have a library of you hear standard ways in which others are translating these or, or measuring these impacts. And then, and even, I don't know, I imagine over time, if you had some ability like, Hey, X percentage of the industry is using this mat- metric. It just allows yeah. the industry as a whole to start to coalesce around some data points. And that's not always a good thing if, if it's not a good um, data point to or, or metric to coalesce around or formula to co- coalesce around. But mm-hmm. I think just like the awareness and knowing what organizations are coalescing around is powerful information in and of itself. And if it's a, not a good metric, well, then that's a problem. And if it is a good metric, at least we can all start to talk some common language and use some common metrics for translating our impact. Yeah, you nailed it. And that was one of the things that we looked at early on where we thought, okay, like, how do you identify what is a standard metric or a recommended metric? Because it's hard to say these are the standard metrics. And of course, there's more and more work coming out out of the common approach here in Canada and out of the um, Harvard Business School's Impact Weighted Accounts Project that will continue to push measurement towards standardizing and being more common. But that was one of the, the things that we struggled with early on is who determines if it's standard or who deter- or how do we determine if it's recommended. But to your point is when we can see it performing, that's very different. And being able to provide organizations and company with that information is really valuable as opposed to saying like the majority of your peers are using this. It's more powerful to be able to say X percentage of companies and organizations using this indicator in this sector with these variables are being 86% successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Where are you finding the most interest and in uptake so far? I know you guys are new and hasn't you haven't been selling it that long, but are you finding early success or interest among a particular um, segment of the market you're after? Yeah, absolutely. I would say on the quantifiable side, so the social return on investment calculator, being able to do roll-up dashboard views, not having to chase around your portfolio for uh, information on, say, their ESGs at a granular level. We're definitely seeing more traction from private, so wealth management firms, private equity. And then we've had some conversations with banks. Banks are interesting because they are able to do this at scale. And I'm sure you've seen this too. They're starting to roll out new products and services for impact investing. And so it's a definitely, we, I talked about technology being able to scale impact, getting into something as mainstream as a bank would also scale impact because they're just so such large players. And then where we're also seeing traction is we're still experimenting with different customer segments, but I would say it's the companies that have an immediate urgent pain. And I liken this often to like a Fitbit. It's nice to track things for your health when things are going well. But as soon as things start to go off the rails or you're not really performing or you're not hitting the goals you want, it can be demotivating. And then you see the the usage of the Fitbit go down or people just won't track and measure at all. And I think the same is true of companies and organizations. When things are going well, it's great to track, but if they're not, then it's not. And so 
where we're also seeing more traction is around those who have an urgent need. And, and when I say urgent need, they're the companies that are right now trying to make the transition to being more sustainable, to being more accountable, to being more transparent, to, to needing to meet the compliance and the regulatory international requirements that are quickly being rolled out and seem to be changing every minute and at least has, have significantly changed over the last six months. And so I think that's likely the second place where we're seeing more traction is companies really trying to catch up and get prepared for future regulations. And those are specifically, I would say, happening within the environmental uh, sector. So companies who have a positive or a negative Im impact to the environment. Yeah. Do you, in your experience, and I know Riddle's kind of ag agnostic on this, but just from your experience and the clients you've spoken to and all that, do you feel like this is a conversation I was having the other day that the like the environmental and governance factors are easier to yeah. to quantify and measure and compare than the social and 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 then is that affecting kind of the types of it sounds like it is like the types of clients who are interested in this it tends to be having success as you say on the environment front yeah i I do believe that the obviously in a lot of environmental challenges are more easy to quantify, but not all of them. And arguably, some of the, the social or governance challenges can be equally as easy to quantify. So if you're looking at, at impact outcomes from a gender or diversity perspective across your company, or if you're looking at if you're looking at some, so I'm thinking specifically of like maybe social impact outcomes that funders would have around employment. So you look at, and I think this is the case, but I could be wrong on this, the government funded VC firms, as an example, the BDCs of the world have a, a, a venture capital arm, and then BDC puts a lot of money into a, a lot of the VCs across the country. And so when you look at the intended impact outcome of those funds, the intention is to create employment, to raise GDP, to increase the tax base to to grow companies so that there's more jobs possibly to sell those companies and to build new companies and so even if you look at something like social and you look at say like the way that those vc firms and what they're intended to measure would be it would fall under the s those are still really quantifiable so i do agree that the environment is can typically be easier to measure, but it's not always the case. I think where you end up in complexity and where things are hard to measure is when it's when we're not as clear on how do you solve for the problem. And that's always going to be the case, I think, if you're not clear on the solution and if the solution is actually solving the problem, then it's always going to be hard to measure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Said. So in terms of your Riddle's kind of stage of, of development, it, you've built out the, the the software and you're focused on a business development now and scaling up the sales of this. Is that kind of where you're at in, in the development phase? And what, do you see new product features in the on the horizon? Yeah, so we finished product development this year. And when I say finished, we're still building, of course. The big one, never. That we, <laughs> yeah, we'll never stop building. But the big one that we have in testing right now is the social return on investment calculator. And SRI is interesting in that about 10 years ago, talking about SRI fell by the wayside. And I think some of the big reasons it became less popular is because it's hard. It's really hard to calculate social returns. Is it impossible? No. And it's also, it can be subjective. It can lack transparency or often does lack transparency. And when I say subjective, depending on what data set you come up with from an evidencing to prove your values, then you, know, you can arrive at a very different calculation. And then the other challenge that we've seen with SRI is that is that often, depending on who's delivering them, they're really expensive. So uh, to get an SRI calculation or report through like a KPMG or some of the larger consulting firms, I won't call it KPMG, but most of the large um, consulting and accounting firms will charge you somewhere between $40,000 to $200,000 to deliver an SRI report. And 
the rationale there is that there is a lot of manual work that goes into it. But is that what's really, is that level of analysis required to understand one indicator, one impact objective? And when we're, so then the whole sector, so when I said it fell out of popularity, and the whole sector, I felt like it stepped back and said, okay, SRI is too hard. So what we're going to do is data management. And that was because in order to do SRI, you actually have to be, you have to understand your data. You have to have the right data to feed into this. And so that requires a lot of work for the sector in itself. And so even in that space, I would say there's still a lot of challenges. But what we did, or I think is a little bit unique with the SRI calculator, is it's the intention of trying democratize it to make it more accessible, to make it more affordable, and to remove the manual part around the calculation. We can calculate out your values, but it doesn't remove that human element of inputting the data sets that it's referencing. And I think that's how we've solved for some of the transparency issues as well, is simply creating a place in the calculations and in the financial statements and reporting where you can place the documentation and the data sets that you used to arrive at that calculation. And that's how we arrive at, at most valuations. There's documents referenced, there's market research done, and we identify the value of a company. And so similarly, you're able to go through that process and identify the value or the case for value of a company or an organization on, on its impact. And so I think that's where hopefully we've started to simplify how you do SRI and at least make it more transparent. So just to make sure I've got this straight, it, it is essentially, you haven't come up with a formula to tell everyone how to calculate social return on investment. It's a feature that allows the organizations to set their own kind of how they're going to translate, like how they're going to translate into dollars, the, the impact, and then way to document the assumptions that were used and why they used those assumptions in rolling up that overall SRO, SROI score calculation. Is that, That's I, right. have I got that right? Yeah, you nailed it. And okay. we're starting to see the value of a dollar, social quantified in dollars, becoming more prominent again. And so I referenced earlier the Harvard Business School's Impact Weighted Accounts Project, which is just fascinating. And they've come down pretty hard on saying it's it's unacceptable that companies, government, organizations are not tracking or are not are not tracking their positive and negative impact value on financial statements. And they've come up with a methodology for how that could be applied by companies. And they've got an advisory board that is made up of the Pricewater PwCs of the world. And the intent is, I believe, to at a more mainstream and at scale, start to implement value associated to positive and negative impact of companies in the form of a dollar. And so I think that I believe that's the future. And so our role in that is helping organizations be able to start to quantify what that positive and negative value is. I, I think it is the obvious and I think the only realistic metric we have to make cross comparisons between seemingly disparate things, but the do like turning things into a dollar value and that feels a little maybe sometimes cold and mm. and callous. It, it, it strikes me the just like the work that's done in, it feels like nutrition, for instance, where they take mortality is not the only measure of or negative impact that comes from poor nutrition outcomes. And so you've got this kind of economic modeling that's brought to the table where you're measuring dis disability life adjusted years. And so if somebody goes really sick, but doesn't die, that's a, there's a real negative impact to that. And can we calculate this to an exact dollar figure for each individual? No, of course not every individual and human life is worth more than dollars and cents, but there is some sort of minimum probably impact that we can measure from the fact that if somebody is sick and has to spend time in the hospital and can't go to work and like that dollar value is not, I think, all encompassing of the negative impact that happens. There's also just like the moral imperative which extends beyond the dollar value. But at a minimum, we can get some crude idea of like what type of cost there is to a government of having you know, poor nutrition. And, and so similarly, I think if we can do it there, we can probably do it anywhere. It's just recognizing that dollar value is some subset of the impact, not the whole story. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Well, that's really great. Do you see any other product features or things that you're excited about for the future of Riddle? It doesn't have to be a feature of the product, but either something in the marketplace, the industry, or for Riddle itself that you're excited about going forward? Yeah, I mean, I I would say everything's po- trending positively in terms of 10 years ago, if you had a conversation with someone about impact investing, you'd get raised eyebrows and a confused look on your their face mm-hmm. or, or even like sustainably mandated funds, like you name it. And over even over the last five years or three years, like we're really starting to see momentum. And I think that's really encouraging. And the momentum, it seems, we're, we're seeing rapid rapid changes happening through different company acquisitions or announcements. Even like Morningstar buying out the rest of Sustainalytics as an example. Recently, there was an amalgamation of SASB and I can't, I think, I can't remember yeah. the other company. I don't remember either, but yeah. And so I, I think it's a really interesting time to be in the space for both impact investors and for organizations and companies trying to help solve some of these problems. So when I say it's all positive for the first time, I think we're really starting to see some significant advances. But I am curious to see where impact investing goes. We're starting to see, it feels like impact investing has become like the next cybersecurity. And what I mean by that is there's companies popping up that can respond to it or do your ESG ratings or measurements and the same way that when cybersecurity became the thing that companies needed to do, I think like ESGs are quickly becoming that. And it's it's fascinating to watch to see will we be successful in achieving what needs to be done for the sector to be able to improve environmental, social, and, and governance challenges by this reallocation of capital. So I, I think for us, like exciting to watch, exciting to see the movement happening. It's great to be able to have conversations with people about what we're doing now and them understand. And I think if it's not us, it'll be someone else that solves that data problem. And that puts you know, the entire world in a much better position to be able to solve for some of these complex problems. I don't think we're going to have to live with them forever. That's really exciting and hopeful. Listen, Janelle, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I'm fascinated to continue following the journey and hopefully we can have you on again in the future when everyone across the industry is using Riddle and we're further down that towards that path you're talking about. That's great. Thanks so much for having me, David. My pleasure. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the Impact Investing Podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd be incredibly grateful if you left a review on iTunes. And uh, heads up, we're now available on most audio platforms, which includes iTunes, but also Spotify, Google, Overcast, you name it. And also, you can now use Siri to listen to the podcast by saying, Hey, Siri, play the Impact Investing Podcast. Here's to the Impact Investing Podcast. Yeah, just like that. You're listening to the Impact Investing Podcast.